This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Today's episode is going to cover the second epistle of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, and all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. So I'm going to give, for this episode, I'm going to give a background to the second epistle of St. Paul to Timothy, and then I'm going to read the verse in question, which is, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. So here's here's the background. In this epistle, the apostle again instructs and admonishes Timothy in what belonged to his office as in the former. And also, and when they say former, they're talking about in the first letter. And also warns him to shun conversations with those who erred from the truth describing at the same time their character. He tells them of his approaching death and his desire for him to, to come speedily to him. It appears that from this circumstances that he wrote his second epistle in time of his last imprisonment in Rome, not long before his martyrdom. Now, to those of you who don't know your New Testament, Timothy was a bishop at one of the churches. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you uh, which church in particular it was. It may be in the notes of the first epistle to St. Timothy, but I'm not sure. But I do know in his first epistle... He was instructing Timothy on his duties as a bishop. Okay, so for you, uh, for you Protestants out there who want to say that, you know, in the primitive church there were no bishops, there, there were no deacons, you're wrong. The Bible proves it as such. And uh, you're misled. So, um, in all charity, I would suggest that maybe you challenge your viewpoint if you think that there weren't there weren't such things as priests, deacons, and bishops in the early church. So, I'm 
Okay, so chapter chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. And um, in this chapter, Paul tells him that, you know, he's going to be martyred soon and he desires for Timothy to come visit him. And by the way, this translation is the Dewey Rames Catholic version. Uh, for anybody who's unaware, the Dewey Rames is the Catholic version of the King James Bible with one major exception. We did our Bible first. Then the King James Version came out. So, I charge thee before God and Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead by his coming and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, that means correct. Entreat, that means... Um, basically ask nicely rebuke in all patience and doctrine for there will come a time when they will not be able to uh, endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires and they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and what they're talking about they're not saying he's not saying that the teachers will have itching ears but they will want teachers who will tell them what they want to hear and will indeed turn away from hearing from the truth, but will be turned into fables. But be vigilant, labor in all things, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill thy, thy ministry. Be sober. For I am even now ready to be sacrificed, and my time of dissolution is at hand. He's basically... Uh, telling Timothy that he's about ready to be martyred by no Protestants, not the, the pagan Catholic Church, but the pagan Romans. I have fought the good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. As to the rest, there is laid up for me a crown of justice, which the Lord which the Lord, the just judge, will render to me in that day. And not only to me, but to them that also love his coming. Make haste to come to me quickly. And that was uh, verse 8. So, kind of sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Even though uh, I believe that uh, St. Paul was martyred at around... Uh, AD 65 or AD 66, so we're talking about almost 3,000 years ago, and yet the situation he's describing, in my mind, perfectly encapsulates the situation of the day. And, as I never get tired of saying, Scripture is multi-layered. This could also be, well, not could be. It is a prophecy about the various heresies, especially Protestantism, that were going to crop up in the history of the Catholic Church. Now, Don't get it twisted in verse 5 where it says evangelist. Because, you know, we're talking that this, this was the very early church. So, don't, don't, don't get it twisted, Protestants. When he says evangelist, he's not saying that Timothy was evangelist and nothing else. He was saying that Timothy was a bishop, but part of his job was to instruct his flock and to evangelize the non-believers to grow his church. So part of the 
part of the things that he's telling Timothy he needs to do is, is be constant in his preaching. And not just be constant in his preaching, but preach it when he says preach in season and out of season, he's saying preach it when it's popular and preach it when it's not popular. It doesn't matter. You remain consistent and you preach the same message at all times. And obviously, you know, like I said, in verse 3 where he says, There shall be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will, in the Dewey Rames it says, heap upon them teachers. And, you know, because it's 16th century English, it's archaic. But basically what he's saying is, is, is they will go to people who will preach a doctrine that is not in line with the doctrine that Paul taught and people won't like what Paul taught and will go to teachers who will basically tell them what they want to hear. Uh, to me, that sounds a lot like Protestantism and by extension, the Vatican II sect. And then once again... In verses 6 through 8, he's, uh, he's telling Timothy because um, when he was arrested at Rome, um, you know, he, he, he was absolutely certain he was going to get the death penalty. So, He's, he's letting Timothy know that he's going to become a martyr and he'd like to see Timothy before he dies. And no, verse 8 is really interesting. And I mean really interesting. He says, There's a crown of justice laid up for me by the Lord who is the just judge. I want my listeners to tattoo this in their brain stems just judge meaning that Jesus Christ who is God almighty does not judge according to human standards and why would he we as humans are limited and finite in the extreme and not only are we limited and finite we are stained by original sin now, for the, uh, for the 300 IQ takers out there, oh, I don't believe in original sin. Okay, well, um, remember, remember what you just said when, when you do something really horrendous. Okay? And by the way, when I say really horrendous, I'm not talking about the extremes of murder, rape, robbery I'm, I'm, I'm talking about mistreating an innocent person I'm talking about gossiping about an innocent person that you don't even know personally I'm talking about defaming a person's good name I'm talking about hatching plots and schemes against the person that you don't particularly care for those are horrendous sins in God's eyes. And by the way, that's the short list. I just wanted to list the obvious ones that weren't the extreme ones. Because I, I, I'm going to tell you guys something. And by the way, disclaimer, um, I'm I have been guilty of this as much as anyone else is. Um, when I was a pagan hedonist, you know, um, I always justified myself to myself that, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not, I'm not a rapist, I'm not a robber, so, um, you know, uh, I'm not a bad, well, <laughs> I knew in society's eyes that they looked down, down on me, um, but I mean, is it, you know, as far as the extreme example of evil went, 
you know, as far as I was concerned, I minded my own business and didn't bother nobody, and I tried to treat people as I wanted to be treated. I was good. And obviously, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's a major error. Because, you know, um, there, there's more to being righteous than, you know, minding your own business and trying to be nice to people. Because here, once again, and it behooves us to remember this, I'm not discluding myself in this, that even if we think, even if we think that we're being nice to people, well... I will give, I will say that there's a point about people um, misinterpreting the way you're speaking or the way you're acting, but I will also say, and I've been very guilty of this, that I've been told when, when I had a particularly hard customer to deal with, and my voice would get very cold, but very, very uh, uh, polite. That because uh, I've, I've had more than one customer tell me, well, yeah, you're talking to me, but there's an F you the way you're talking to me. And because I was who I was at the time, I'd say, well, well, sir or ma'am, did I tell you F you? No, it's in the tone of your voice. And they were right. Now, me being mean at the time, I would never admit that they were right. But they were. There was definitely an F you uh, attitude in my mind at the time. Because I didn't like the way they were speaking to me. They were being rude. They were being um, inconsiderate. And obviously, when you work in a restaurant or a store, you can't return the favor and keep your job. So, the icy tone would creep in. And um, I'd be polite, but only to the extent I had to be. I'm not justifying this behavior. I'm not. I find it funny though that nowadays um, people, and when I say people, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about clerks and service workers, will take that tone with you and there's no consequences. Anybody who's ever dealt with customer service for a big box chain like Walmart will tell you. They'll be out and out rude to you and not even try to fact. They'll, 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 uh, they'll literally be rude and, you know, they, there's no consequences. But anyhow, um... But I, I kind of strayed away from my main point. He calls Jesus the just judge. And I was trying to make clear that we as human beings are not just. By our very natures, we are not just. Now the Catholic saints, they are just, but they're not the perfect judge because, once again, we're talking about human beings. They've reached spiritual perfection, but they're still human beings at the end of the day. But God, and it kind of pains me that I have to remind people of this, God made everything, time, space, everything. He knows the amount of molecules for the entire galaxy he created. He knows the entire molecule structure of every person that's now living 
and for that matter, every person who's dead. So, when St. Paul says that Jesus Christ is the just judge, he's speaking God's truth. Since he is the creator of everything, then he knows everything about us. And I mean everything. But since a lot of people like to treat God and Satan as abstractions, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't really matter. They don't really matter. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to get to heaven anyway. You really need to think about that point because it may be the most important decision that you make in your entire life. Bar none. And in case I have to remind you, people who go to hell, there are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. When, when Jesus Christ sends you to hell, that's it. And as I never get tired of saying, even I have a hard time wrapping my mind around eternity but if you have an imagination, try to wrap your mind around being in a place where you are burning. I, when I say burning, I'm not talking about like a third degree burn. I'm talking literally burning like you're in the middle of a nuclear blast, except hotter than that, forever. Forever. Never stops. You're, you're, and here's the thing. And I, I did talk about this in an earlier broadcast, but I don't think I mentioned that just as, as people who go to heaven go to heaven in a glorified body. Now, if you go to hell, obviously it's not going to be glorified, but it's going to be a body. It's going to be an immortal body. So this... This nuclear blast fire that, that you're going to be sent to, it's your, your flesh is, you're going to feel the burning, but your flesh is not going to melt. Your flesh is literally not going to melt. And this is going to go on forever. And in addition to that, there are going to be worms and maggots eating your skin. But once again, just like the fire, your 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 skin's gonna still stay on 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 your body. You're going to feel them gnawing. And anyone who's ever seen a worm or a maggot, they go for the soft parts of the skin. Now just imagine these worms and maggots chewing on your soft bits forever. And in addition to that, you're going to have other people who were sent to hell piled on top of you. It's literally going to be bodies stacked upon bodies. And, but here's the thing. You can't move. You're literally paralyzed this spot. So in addition to being burned and eaten you're going to have hundreds of bodies piled up on top of you. And you can't move. You can't push them off of you. You, you literally can't move. And I want you Satanists out there to think about this. Or for that matter, atheists. The demons. For you Satanists out there, the, you know, the the. The, the demonic being that you worship called Satan, he, he hates you, okay? So when you go to hell with him, he's not going to say, hey, buddy, how you doing? Oh, you did such a great job. No, him and his demons are going to torment you because they hate you with a hatred that is... There's no, um, it's, 
I, I likened it in another episode on my original podcast to the Terminator. The Terminator chased Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese through the length of Los Angeles because his mission was to kill them, but there was no emotion involved in it. He, he was literally an android, and he was programmed to do this. Satan ain't like that. Satan is a spiritual being. He does have emotions. And he hates human beings with every fiber of his being. That's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why he got kicked out of, well, yeah, he literally got kicked out of heaven by St. Michael. Because, you know, as I said earlier, um, or in another episode, I'm sorry. As I said in another episode, um, God made human beings. And he, he was literally one of the first angels that God made. And when God made human beings, and he's a pure spirit. Pure spirit. Time and space mean nothing to him. Now, he's not, he's not uh, as... Uh, He's not God, obviously, but angels, angels are the closest you're going to get to being God without actually being God. And God made human beings, and when he told Satan, because a human being has um it has three aspects it has a soul which is pure spirit it has a body obviously physical and what's the third aspect and it has a mind but because our body is physical, our mind is not fi uh, infinite like a spirit's is. And so, demons basically consider us shaved apes. And compared to the angels, we are. Because we are literally a hybrid. But in the demon's mind, it, it would be... The best way I could put it, demons look upon human beaches, I'm sorry, human beings the way we look upon roaches. Disgusting vermin that should be stepped on. And uh, heaven forbid that you should fall into the hands of a tormenting angel. But anyway. So, when he talks about Jesus Christ being the just judge, he's just by his very nature. And for you Calvinists out there that want to spout the... Not, not, it's not just a heresy. It's a hellish lie that God himself would make people expressly for help. With, you know, no choice, no matter. And like I said, I've run into Calvinists who claim, well, he just, he just knows ahead of time before he makes them. There's a difference between foreknowledge, which God is very capable of, and making people expressly for help. There is a difference. And it is true, God being God, that um that um he does, you know, he he knows when he makes a person what, what the final outcome is. But there there's a huge difference between knowing that and saying, okay, I'm gonna make this person, they're going to hell. You know, they've led a pious, devout, holy life, but they're going to hell. It turns God from a loving God into a petty tyrant. 
So enough about that. I want to talk about the third verse. All throughout the Catholic Church's history, I'm talking from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven in 33 AD to now, as we speak, heretics have always been trying to bend God's religion, his natural law, and his sense of justice to their own ends. And that's basically what a heretic is. Now, in the secular realm, obviously, a person who's not even, you know, who's not, you know, atheist or agnostic, they're not even acknowledging that he exists. Now, I'm not a canon lawyer and I'm not a theology major, so I'm not sure if the act of being an atheist or agnostic is actually a heresy. To me, to, in order to be a heretic, you have to profess a religious belief. But when I find out, maybe I'll talk about it in a later episode. But, you know, um, I, I want you Vatican II types and you said of the contest to tattoo this in your brains. There were heresies long before Martin Luther decided to revolt from the Catholic Church. And for you Protestants, John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Knox, Henry VIII were all Catholics. They weren't secret Protestants. You know, Henry VIII actually got the title from the Pope, Defender of the Faith, for actually writing against Martin Luther's revolt from the Catholic Church. So, you can complain, you know, you, you can, uh, there's the meme on the internet where the guy plugs his ears and says, yeah, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. You can do that all you want to. You can't wish it away. You can't ignore it. It's the truth. Either you're going to acknowledge the truth and hopefully save your soul or heaven forbid when you die you're going to pay the supreme penalty. You know. God is merciful but he's merciful to those who take his mercy. He is not merciful toward those who try to twist his laws, his religions, his reality to suit their needs. That's exactly why Satan got kicked out of heaven. And I'm telling you this once again. I'm going I'm going to, you know, if I have to say this every episode, I'm going to do it. I'm not doing this to be a jackass. I'm not doing this to be a uh, a-hole. I'm doing this because eternity is real. And where you go matters. And I was telling a young man tonight, you know, because I, I, I had, you know, I try to be in the habit of saying, Lord willing. And I told him, I said, you know, every day is not promised to us. Now, having been a young man, well, I, I, in my case, I can insult myself. Having been young and stupid and uh, impulsive, you know, when, when an older guy tells a 20-something or a 30-something even that every day is not promised to you, it goes in one ear and out the other. At least in my case, it did. Now, I'm sure there's some younger people that take it very seriously. And uh, I'm, if they do, I'm glad for that. Because these things matter. But remember the context in which he's, t um, 
he wrote this letter. It didn't give me a date when he wrote 2 Timothy, the epistle of 2 Timothy. But it says in chapter 4, you know, he's telling Timothy, hey, they're about ready to put me to death, execute me. I would like to see you before they do that. So the Roman persecutions, and once again, you Protestants, pagan Romans, not the Roman Catholics, and if you try arguing, well, they're both the same. I'll leave you to your air and pray for your uh, conversion. Um, it started around 66 AD. So this epistle, and because we're talking ancient times, it, the, the, the letter had to go by boat and by horseback to get to where it was going. So we're talking anywhere from, depending on where uh, Timothy was, anywhere between six months to a year. So I would say this letter was probably written somewhere between 60 AD and probably 64 AD. But, um, but okay, so, and as I said earlier, and I want to hammer this point home because it's who I am, it's what I like to do, because this is important, and with people. Lacking critical thinking skills, having short attention spans, and honestly speaking, a lot of people don't even have listening or observation skills. This is why I hammer home points. Not because I'm being pedantic, not because I like repeating myself. As a matter of fact, I hate it. This is the reality. I got to deal with the reality that is, not as I want it to be. So, from the time of Jesus' ascension, which was 33 AD, to now, 2022, there have been heresies throughout the history of the Catholic Church. As a matter of fact, I'm reading the Catholic history now. You had the Gnostics in the first and second centuries you had the Marconans or Moroccans I don't know how you pronounce it Marcon or something like that in the second century you also had the Arians and interestingly enough I found out that part of the Arian heresy at its base was Gnosticism now those guys actually almost, almost took over the Catholic Church. Once again, G, you know, Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is not a liar. When he said, I will be with you to the end of days, it's not lying. A lot of the laity and a lot of the bishops went Arian, which is why I compare the Vatican II heresy, the Arianism. Because a lot of these Arians took over churches and were teaching false doctrines. But in the case of Arianism, there was a core, true Catholic hierarchy and clergy that kept the faith and a remnant of believers. Now it took them if I'm not mistaken, it took them around 100 to 200 years. And they, here's the scary part, they never fully went away. You know, um, there's a reason why St. Pope Pius X said is that Protestantism is the synthesis of all heresies. There is Gnostic theology in Protestantism. So, and if I haven't mentioned this before, I'm going to mention it now. 
that it is recorded that Martin Luther himself, the founder of, of Protestant theology, said that he agreed with some heretics. You just have to be willing to accept, you know, accept that he, you know, it's, it's recorded. It's not hidden. I found it myself. So, but he said that he agreed with some of the heretics. So, as I said, there have been, and, you know, right now we have in America, we have Protestantism, Vatican II sect, which is Protestantism through the back door, and I'm not going to make a definitive basis, or uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make a definitive statement if Masonry was any way involved with Protestantism, but I darn sure know that there were a lot of Masons in the Vatican II Council who helped get that, uh, get that uh, documents passed. And I'm not sure if it was Mr. Roncalli or Mr. Montini who was an actual Mason, but one of those two were. Just off the top of my head, I think it was Mr. Montini who was a Mason and Mr. Roncalli was a socialist. Which, by the way, not that I'm expecting any Vatican II sect members to know this, Membership in either the Communist Party or the Socialist Party was grounds for excommunication. And if you were a, uh, a priest or a bishop, it was grounds for being laicized. And all laicized means, it's a 10 cent word for mean being removed as a member of the clergy from the Catholic Church. So, but even, even though he wrote this in the early 60s AD, you can, you can apply this to even the secular society and culture. Doesn't necessarily have to be biblical. Try telling somebody who's buying into the whole narrative that there's a pandemic going on and they plug their ears. No, 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 I can't hear you. You know, try telling somebody who's, um, that, that hates Donald Trump's guts that yes, the election was stolen from him. You get the same reaction. Try telling an evangelical atheist. Well, first, with the evangelical atheist, and for those who don't know, um, evangelical atheists are the atheists who go online and try to convert people to atheism. Think about how cognitive dissonance that is. Oh, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in religion. But we're going to convert you to not believe in God. You know, if you if you don't see the uh, autistic spurgery in that, I don't know what to tell you. But first you try to tell them that they're acting like a religious fanatic without the religion. Well, telling them that it's their substitute for a religion goes right over their heads, you know, because they're not capable of processing it. But then secondly, telling them that, let's just assume, let's just assume that if you do have the misfortune of talking to one of these guys, and they're every bit as obnoxious as Gilbert Gottfried, Gilbert Gottfried on crack, but imagine that you managed to talk, or that you're, 
talking to one of these guys and you get them to accept the first point that they're being, you know, they're, they're, they're being hypocritical. But then try the second point of telling them that no, there is a God. He does exist. Heaven and hell are real. God and Satan are real. You know, um, it's, it, I, I would say without God and the Blessed Mother's help, it's a tough sell at best. And, and let's not even talk about, you know, trying to tell a Protestant that Protestantism is heresy or worse yet, because I've had this misfortune, trying to tell a neo-Catholic, uh, uh, yeah, a neo-Catholic or a neo-traditionalist that if they, if they believe that Vatican II was a legitimate church council, that it's a heresy. Now, before I close this out, I'm going to say, when I say these things, I'm not saying every Protestant's like this. I'm not saying every... Every uh, Vatican II sect member is like this, and not every neo-traditionalist is like this. Some are open to reason and have critical thinking skills. But a majority of people don't. And it is, you know, um, a lot of people, if it goes against their narrative, which I talked about in my first uh, original podcast, they don't want to hear it. If it goes against their narrative, they don't want to hear it. Period. So, I'm just, I'm going to say this part and then I am going to close out. When, when St. Paul talks about go to teachers now, obviously, I'm putting this in modern English, but go to teachers because they have, uh, who will basically tell them what they want because they have itchy ears. What they're, they're looking for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Okay? The Protestants have a word for this. They call it church, church hopping or church shopping. Given the fact that Protestantism is a her uh, is a heresy within and of itself, isn't really important. The important part is is that once again, oh, in case I get new listeners, I've been a former Protestant and I've been a former Vatican II sect member. Which, by the way, I am living proof. That a Protestant and or Vatican II sect member who is willing, who not only is willing, but actually wants and desires above all else to find the truth, I'm living proof they will find it. I am literally living proof. But, I mean, they even do it in the Vatican II sect. Um... You know, when I was in the Vatican II sect, obviously the, the mass of the Vatican II sect is just a, a Protestant, it's a Protestant service. And anybody who's ever been Protestant knows they call their, um, their communion a table supper. Anyone who's ever been Protestant will tell you. They call, oh, and by the way, uh, the main difference between the Vatican II sect and the various 40,000 denominations of Protestantism, depending on the, the forms of Protestantism, you might not get communion at all. You might get it once a year, twice a year, or maybe once a month. The only difference between them and the Vatican II sect, they have it whenever they hold their quote-unquote mass. Okay, but the, 
the uh, quote-unquote traditionalist of the Vatican II sect um, because they, 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 they know they know that th that mass is not the mass will go drive out of their way you know, 50 miles to go to now I want you to hear me carefully not the pre-Vatican II Mass a uh, Latin Mass not the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass but the Latin Mass instituted by Mr. Roncalli better known as Anti-Pope John Twenty-Third, because at the end of the day you know, the pretty vestments, the candles, the incense, and, you know, the beautiful liturgical music is more important to them than the actual doctrine itself, the doctrine and the dogma. And for you, you neo-trads out there, no, it's not true. If it weren't true, you would be set of a contest. Argue all you want to with me. If, if you really cared about Jesus Christ, his blessed mother, and their one true church, you would not be going to the mass of John, quote-unquote, anti-pope John Twenty-Third. You would be a set of a contest, period, full stop, end of story. So I'm going to close out here. Um... It seems like I got to do this every, well, most episodes. I'll say most. I don't get my kicks out of being um, emphatic, meaning forceful. I don't get my kicks off of that. I don't get my kicks because I, I you know, in my experience, not all people, but most people, they don't, they don't think first. They react off of their feelings and emotions. And as much as it pains me to admit it, I'm trying to get better at this because, you know, you know, part of being human is to no matter how hard you try, reacting emotionally. But when I do and I'm wrong, well, actually, I, even if I'm right, I try not to react emotionally. So, um, I, but I do try to apologize if I'm wrong. So, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not a sadist to, um, you know, likes annoying people and likes, you know, irritating people. But I'm going to flat out say, to me, God's truth is more important. Well, God's truth is your way to get into heaven. And having the right truth so that you can get to heaven is more important than anything else that you ever do while you're here on this earth. And I take this very seriously. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not... Um, I, I don't want to... I mean, obviously people are going to hell. Going, I'm sorry. People are obviously going to go to hell. You know... Jesus says so in the New Testament. But if I can help through the help of Lord Jesus, the Blessed Mother, and the Holy Ghost help put out the message, I'll put it in their hands and let them do the, work, the rest. But, um, you know, I'm... When it, when it comes to eternity... I'm not about warm fuzzies. I'm about telling you the truth. You know, um, uh, yeah. there, there are plenty of podcasts that are there for warm fuzzies for entertainment's sake. My, it is the goal of this podcast to try to help people get to where they need to go. 
And I make no apology for that. None. So, if you gave me almost 55 minutes of your time, I do appreciate it. I really do. Because for some people, I realize uh, I'm about as, uh, as charming as a uh, pop spill on the front of your crotch. Um, so if you gave me the time, I do appreciate it. I do thank you. So, I do care about you guys. And I pray for everyone. And I would like to see as many people go to heaven as possible. And I hope and pray you get something out of this. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
was the prison by sniffing and singing us the most sufrite passion, or was man the questioners the lagen sanguinated on mutlidiudheit the villagers or loven des Sara! 